welcome to your creativity the podcast that keeps doing something yeah we're here we're here again yeah you can't kill us off yet have you been steve i'm good i'm doing good here life is good summer's coming to an end but i'm excited for today yeah it's a great development that's uh, coming to the gateway and let's talk about first where we're uh, recording it's called kiln it's a co-work space it's in the gateway uh across the way from the location we'll be talking about and it, just if you have a small business and stuff you know check it out if you need a office i got a tour the other day it's a really cool place but who are we here with? We are here with Robert Thompson. He is the CEO of Punchbowl Social. Um, so Punchbowl Social is a, a very unique concept that just came to Salt Lake. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Um, well, Punchbowl Social is uh, falls into this entertainment category. I like to refer to it more as experiential food and beverage. Um, it's a large format, scratch kitchen, craft beverage, design forward um, a concept in the, in the restaurant category. It's taking, um, taking market share from casual dining and um, sort of, I don't know, uh, trying to make some splashes in a $900 billion restaurant industry that's not easy to change. Now, what, what is scratch kitchen? When I went to, on vacation to Orlando, I saw that term tossed around around a lot down there what is scratch kitchen so you know in its easiest um definition is you know when when food comes in our kitchen it's raw (laughs) and uh it's raw food that we turn into um you know dishes in our in our culinary platform of a diner for our guests um there it's it's i suppose it's worth noting you know uh, when a kitchen is and is not scratched because there's so much institutionalized food in chain america that um, to be, you know, technically a chain as we are um, now that you know, we're, um, you know, 18 locations, 19 when we opened Salt Lake City, um, it's worth noting that, you know, we're actually still and always will be um, scratch kitchen oriented. I was in the food service industry for 15 years, you know, McDonald's, Spaghetti Factory, all that. And um, it's interesting to see ones that start out that way and evolve into non-scratch. Um, w- with scratch, what what kind of uh, menu items do you have over there? Yeah, so um, you know, from as basic items as um, as a um, as what we refer to as a knockoff burger, which is you know um, not so subtle reference to uh, a hamburger that is actually very institutionalized, and ours is a scratch version of it with a hormone-free grass-fed beef product on a sesame seed bun. You know the Quarter Pounder is now non-frozen. That You know, I don't know what else <laughs> good is coming with that, but, you know. <laughs> but um, actually, interestingly, I did, uh, I, I don't know if there's any credibility to it, but I think McDonald's did announce something. There were, um, um, there, there, there is going to be perhaps a hormone-free actual beef patty product that I think that's going to be introduced onto their menu in like 2021 or something like that. It's like, I don't know, to me. But I think they're recognizing your concept as like, that is what people are interested in. And so how to get back to that as opposed to what they are known for previously. And how the hell did you start all this? Like you were a bartender, like growing up. 
is that when you got the idea to open up these the punch bowl social you know i've been in um the restaurant industry since i was 16 uh i'm you know i'm a kid from mississippi who some you know escaped escaped the deep south <laughs> did your family do restaurants before you or no no you know we're you know i grew up you know framing houses as a teenager and working on cars and on and shops and and in um roofing houses that kind of stuff that's what we did and um but the restaurant industry was a means to an end and it helped me uh, get through college and um but you know like so many other people but i, I did find a, a passion for the industry but more specifically, um, I, I became um, aware th uh, of my own desires to be more creative, to have creative outlets. And so I sort of um, gravitated to being a concept man. So taking, um, taking my creative ideas and applying them operationally into the restaurant industry to create new concepts um, is sort of the, the origins of that. But to be an entrepreneur takes more than just to be a concept man, right? So you have, you have to pull the business side of it together somehow as well. Do you remember the first business you put together? And yeah. it, was it successful or how did, the, were the pros or the cons of it? First one blew the doors off, you know, and that's kind of. So that's um, rare. It's, well it is, but believe me, I had, I had failures after that. Cause actually I, my failures were related to my early successes because you sort of, you think you become um, bulletproof. Right, and that that uh, everything. I had a lot of successes early in my career, and then I had some sort of in the middle of my career. I had some phenomenal, epic uh, disasters. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, you know, Punchable Social is, um, you know, was sort of. I, I I like to think it's the um, it's the culmination of all my victories and my defeats put together, and hopefully the wisest version of myself uh, that's able to bring together the the business engineering and the creative side into what we're growing today well 19 in i think you figured it out yeah yeah you know what either that or we just keep making big bets <laughs> you know like well you know we'll decide if it works when we get to 30 <laughs> speaking of big bets uh, this is the first one in utah what draw drew um you to do the concept here in salt lake um i i really have an affection for Salt Lake City. I've been trying to do a business here since 2000. I've been coming to town and hanging out, spending time specifically with an eye on whether um, Salt Lake was ready. Um, and every time I came, I, you know, I sort of realized how much I liked Salt Lake and, um, and reconfirmed that it wasn't ready. Um, I don't think it had evolved enough, um, at least for my purposes culturally and, um, and, w w and had not normalized um, some of the liquor laws that are, you know, so critical in the restaurant industry, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, um, you know, just to use an example, it's like, you know, Amazon, Amazon needs tax laws to work a certain way, right? For, them, for their, for their model to be maximized and in the restaurant industry. We need, you know, we need the liquor laws to be manageable. So, and I think we're at a manageable place in, in Utah. Oh, good. <laughs> Cause it, it was nutty there for a while and it's, it's slowly getting better. Um, now each location, I got a tour of the the new location before we started, and it has a theme, you know, the Olympics, and it pulled in all these Greek uh, references. Uh, what are some of the other concepts in the other locations? So we we designed. I mentioned our design forward um, uh, approach to the restaurant industry, and 
at Punchable Social, we do um, we have five design elements: Victorian, mid-century, modern, industrial, and Mountain Lodge. The fifth one is always this localization, and it's the dominant theme within our design. The other four are static, and the localization is um, is is the muse that we use to design each location. Um, this one. We obviously the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, had a big impact on Salt Lake City, um, but that was sort of two two of low hanging fruit to do that. So instead of referencing the Winter Olympics, we actually borrowed um, the original Greek Olympics uh, as our design. So there's a lot of Greek um, silhouettes and architectural elements inside of this location, as well as some nods to um, you know. Um, Salt Lake's history, uh, Salt Lake City's history with copper mining and salt mining. Yeah, the, so. co- the copper chairs. Yeah. Uh, Steve, you said you had a bunch of questions that you wanted to. Well, I mean, I run a food business too, so I have all kinds of, of questions, but I want to know from the failures, what did you learn? Can you, do you want to, would you want to share any of them? Sure. Um, you know, there's, I, I I, I get that asked that question, you know, from time to time, and I, and I, I just they're intangible, you know, the lessons that you learn, but there's a perspective that um, one gets. There's a view of the world um, that can only be captured when you're picking your teeth up off the floor, and that I, I never forget that view, right? So it's, and it becomes even more special when you've been at a at a higher place when you've been had some success right and then you're and then you're sort of looking at the the world from from the ground up so um i think that's probably related to humility and you know i think that's a lesson we all need to learn and and um hubris is one of the most dangerous things you know but at the same time no one gets ahead without some pride and some arrogance and so you have to find a way to thread that needle between you know, um, sort of um, faulty hubris, but required um, arrogance to push an idea across the finish line. Because anytime you're doing something new, um, you know, it's you're trying to push an egg uphill with your nose. And um, it, it takes a lot of patience and grit to get that egg uphill. So that's what I experience right now is the comfort zone of you know what we are doing successful as a as a food business i own a chocolate shop mm-hmm. so was trying to like branch out and do something new you know what advice would you have for somebody like me who is afraid of the what ifs and afraid of like you know well that's just not going to work out because of x or because of this reason or because of that how do you get past those fears i think you have to ask yourself why you know what your goals are why you're trying to, to look beyond what you have today. And um, those can be, as I, I think, uh, as lofty as, um, as having some grand vision, right? Uh, I'm just making this up, some you know, international franchise concept of chocolates, right? Or as simple as, um, well, I'm having some success now, but I need to, I need to nominally expand just in case something goes a little wrong, right? that I've, I've scaled up and then I could absorb slight setbacks, right? Because if you're just a, a, a one shop house, it doesn't take much, right? To knock it over and everything goes away, right? And at the same time, you know, there's, a, there, there's still, you know, if you believe you've got a good five year, 10 year run in that, 
you know, you're probably in a, in a good place. So I, I would, I'm, I'm trying to say, analyze the goals. And then, um, and then once you understand why you want to overcome the fear and keep going, then I think it, I don't know, it's helpful. What are the goals with Punchbowl Social? They're, um, and are they, they're probably still evolving. I don't know that they're evolving. They've been fairly, um, I don't know if lofty is the right word, established and with a high watermark, you know, that um, that's uh, going to be difficult to get to. But we're trying to evolve this thing into a, a more of a lifestyle brand. Um, we want, you know, we're, we're experiential food and beverage, and we know that millennials focus and Gen Z focus substantially on experiences um, over, you know, purchasing of assets, right, as part of their lifestyle. So is we, we want to... We are a lifestyle brand for that generation, but what's interesting is I don't know that, if, that our core audience knows that, and so finding ways to make that manifest or to create the optics and understanding for them that we are a lifestyle brand is, is, is something, one of the challenges we need to get to in order to become that actual lifestyle brand, and the way that I want to do that is branch out into um, punchable social hotels, um, with punchable socials within them. So we become this experiential boutique hotel operation and that will help continue to expand the awareness of the brand as lifestyle. So why do we want to be a lifestyle brand? Uh, I think it is. And did you know that when you first started that that's what you wanted to be? I think that came about a year in, right? As it started understanding the level of success that we were having and then trying to plot a course um, a trajectory as a, as a growth brand. We always knew we were a growth brand. So from day one, I shared with my, my team, um, you know, we're a growth brand, not a brand that grows, right? We grow with purpose. And so we've always known that, but the opportunity and the tactics to, um, to achieve the greatest success possible we started thinking about it as a lifestyle brand and it was also a way to um to um to protect the longevity of the brand um rather than just be regarded as a traditional food and beverage operation and i love that approach because when you look at successful businesses i mean people buy products but really what's going to keep them buying products are those emotions and those traditions and that lifestyle that you're talking about. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Thanks. Like, that's <laughs> what I've tried to, to, to bite into. Yeah. At that mark where you figured that out, how many locations did you have? Um, you know, I think, um, I think I was opening our third location when I started, when, when I realized the potential that we had um, for that, you know, I, I knew that, I had developed something um, that was special enough um, to grow. It was portable. I knew that we were hitting on, we were ahead of the curb and with respect to the experiential food and beverage trend. Um, but, you know, but, you know, I, I didn't, I, I didn't fully understand the lifestyle potential until, um, until it was all sort of the success of the, of the brand and the concept model was swirling around me. And then, you know, um, then the, the pieces fell in place for that opportunity. So the, the first and second star, you're kind of building it, figured out, and then the third one was the one that we made the realization? 
Yeah, it started. It started to become clear to me what you know that that was a tactic that could be applied to, um, based on the success and and how we were we were being received by our consumer, right? Um, right. That that you know a consumer, you know, if you're a, a a consumer sort of orbits these brands around themselves, right? And um, it, and that is their lifestyle, right? So they, especially a modern consumer, defines themselves for better or worse as um, by the brands that they surround themselves with. People make emotional connections with brands, right? Well, who they are, what they stand for, especially today. Millennials very much care about what the brands stand for, and they find that they seek out reflections of themselves. And, and the smart brands figure that out. Um, now, um, how many different, like the Salt Lake one's pretty big. Um, what are, are the, like the size variations between, are there some bigger than Salt Lake, some, you know, more smaller kind of a. Yeah, the, the typical box is between 20 and 25,000 square feet. Um, this one is 15.5, so this is one of the, the smaller boxes. Okay. Um, we thought that we, we sized it appropriate for Salt Lake City. Um, you know, Salt Lake City, there's a lot of migration here, but it has a, the, the, you know, the density is not all the way there. So, but we think it's right sized for Salt Lake City. What made you realize that now's the right time for it? You talked about the liquor laws, mm -hmm. but, um, do you see the statistics of Salt Lake changing or what, what attracted you f with that? You know, the, there was, you know, just paying attention, studying, you know, the trends that were occurring here in, in Salt Lake and understanding it wasn't that there was, there was a migration of people, but there was also business migration that was occurring here and a lot of technology jobs that um, have made their way to Salt Lake City. But really the, the final um, threshold that crossed over was just the migration of the LGBTQ community to Salt Lake City. We felt like um, we felt like that was um, honestly unexpected um, to people outside of SLC. And yeah. between that combination of the normalization of the laws and seeing that community migrating to Salt Lake City to be said, there's there's something new and special happening here that we want to be part of. And the switch here at the mall and just businesses in general here are a lot going a lot more uh experience based um how did that factor in as well the, the mall the way the mall changed over yeah um th this is a really cool development that we're in here what you know what the gateway is becoming and um i think it you know it it i, th I think it originated during the first olympics or, or excuse me during the olympics here and um and um it went through some hard times lost its tenants to a competing development here in Salt Lake City, um, and it sold. The new owners reimagined it as a um, food and beverage and entertainment destination. The adjacency to where the Utah, to to Vivant Center, where the Utah Jazz play, all that came together um, in a way that that I thought it was the right real estate decision. You know, I, I can't just be, I can't sit back and just personally applaud Salt Lake City for. Um, you know, for what's going on here, and if I can't combine that with a great real estate decision, right? And so it, it all it all came together the right way for us to make that decision back in 2017 to do a here to do a deal here in Salt Lake City. 
and the potential hotel, I think it will be a great draw for people, you know, looking for stuff that are staying there. Yeah, I wish we had, uh, I wish, I wish two years ago were today and the hotel were still available. We'd try to figure out how to do something <laughs> there, but I think that ship sailed. Um, and your concept is being recognized by a lot of like big um, uh, companies like uh, Fast Company and Forbes and all stuff like that. Tell us about some of those accolades and how um, that's helped you out building further. Yeah, I you know um, it's kind of um, it it's um, it's odd to sit around and talk about you know how other people are telling you that you're you're great at something, but um, the <laughs> but but Fast Company did um, you know thirty six editors got together and um, made an odd decision to declare Punchbowl Social one of the fifty most innovative companies in the world um, in that annual publication that they do, and so. Um, we accept it. We scratch our head a little bit and maybe pat ourselves on the back a little as well. And then, um, I don't know. And then we, uh, and then we say, thank you. <laughs> you obviously have been doing this for a little bit. Who are your mentors? Who do you look up to as like, who inspires you? Mm. You know, um, I was a, philosophy and a double history major in school so I don't um, I, I probably look back a little further <laughs> for some mentors uh, than others um, do I'm a <laughs> I'm a big fan of Hannibal Barca you know Hannibal you know who almost overthrew Rome right no one overthrows the might of Rome and no one even came close for six more centuries after after Hannibal almost took Rome and um, so you know the idea that someone could take elephants and you know ride them over the alps and and almost conquer rome is something that um uh th that's a big horizon to look up to so i'm not trying to conquer rome i just think that i i, I love the concept of the big idea <laughs> and thinking outside the box a little bit thinking outside the box and but i gotta tell you there's one um you know w one person who who obviously we lost a few years ago but steve jobs you know um a, a quote of his always jumped out at me right which was that um you know live every day like it's your last day and if it was your last day what would you do right that's one of his famous quotes and i, I try to think that that way at least six days a week <laughs> i want to go into work <laughs> <laughs> um it is going to work fun for you still still is yeah i um this 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 gig you know makes my socks roll up and down um, by themselves so uh, I, I, I still control the company and, um, I have a lot of great partners. Um, but, um, you know, the, the vision, um, that, that was established early on for this company and this brand is the one that my investors have bought into and, um, and are not interested in, um, in making change. And so, I'm taking, um, you know, I'm originally, I'm, I'm just an independent restaurateur, right? I've just been doing, I'm a concept man. I've been doing restaurants my entire career and, you know, creating a concept and capitalizing it and opening and operating it. So when I, when, but when I have the chance to change the definition of the modern restaurant chain by doing things still independent mindedly, um, that is a, that's exciting work, uh, for, for, for anyone to have the opportunity to do. Like as you've grown, I mean, you talked about partners and 
early on, maybe you didn't have as many partners as you do now, but was there a time when you guys butted heads and you didn't want the same thing? Um, what would you, how would you resolve those kind of conflicts or do you think you stuck firm with what your ideals were and draw, drew everybody to your ideals or how did you make decisions when you guys all disagree? Yeah. Um, no partnerships are smooth in the definition of a good partnership is how well you get through the rough patches and, um, you know, and so these are all selfish questions that I myself <laughs> am dealing with. So like, I'm, I'm loving the insight. You know, I, I, I don't know that my story will, will or won't be helpful. Right. Because mine has been, um, I've been pretty, um, um, bullheaded on some things right and I, and when i believe in something um i don't compromise on it and but but you have to balance that out with being willing to compromise on the things that don't matter right it's just there's a give and the take but you have to identify the things that are truly important for the brand and the integrity of what it is that you're trying to accomplish and you have to draw bright lines and over time you figure out who um intuitively wants to cross those lines and who respects the lines and partnerships form around, you know, those lines. Um, they move a little bit here and there, not the bright ones. Um, but, um, I've had some fabulous, um, um, blow ups with partners that it hasn't worked. And, you know, so I had a partner that tried to take over my company, <laughs> you know, he's not a partner anymore. You know, we, we, we bought him out. But uh, I, you know, uh, to um, stay true to your ideals, stay true to your ideals, but understand what, you know, just like I was saying to you, think about why you, you know, try to first understand why you want to expand, why, why you want to overcome fears in your business and, and do more. Um, it's the same with, you know, with, um, you know, with with partners is, you know, understand why, you know, you brought them in and, you know, kind of um, reflect your goals through the partnership and you'll um and you won't get it right the first or the second time but you know at some point you you know everyone sort of defaults down to an operating position that makes sense yeah and you talked about i know i'm i have add so my topics are all over the place <laughs> but you talked about scratch to table um and i looked at your your menus um on the the website does the menu vary from location to location and what's your favorite menu item? Um, the, the the menu doesn't vary, and and that's because of the the difficulties in itself of being um, a brand that stretches across the country and being able to execute brand standards. So remaining scratch, having brand standards, is hard enough, right? So if we were trying to um, implement different menus in every location or in some locations across the country, we wouldn't be able to manage it. So. Our goal is to be a, is to is to create a balanced menu that 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 reflects our integrity and um, that we can execute in in a way that serves the guest. Is there an item you you don't eat yourself on your menu? Well, I would normally say that the knockoff burger because I don't eat a lot of red meat personally, but I end up eating that thing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you know, other iconic dishes on our menu is we have a. We have a malted um, waffle, uh, chicken and waffle dish um, with a chipotle syrup uh, and fresh strawberries that is um, probably all-time favorite. 
that's probably inspired from the South. A little bit. That's right. So um, my menu has always had a little bit. Our bread service is biscuits, right? So we make we make homemade biscuits, and we're not a Southern concept, but you know, you um, there's some nods thrown in here and there. Um, I had uh, tried a couple of your drinks before uh, we came over here. So some some of the drink menu is. Um, I noticed you were moving a little slow when you got here. Yeah, was... <laughs> it, it took effect. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love me a good rum drink. There you go. Um, but you you do kind of fashion some of those to kind of more of a local, or t- tell us about that decision. Yeah. So we 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 w- while the menu is um, both the the culinary and the beverage menus are consistent. Um, we we do go out of our way though in every market to. Um, so if we have twelve beers on draft, ten of them will be local craft beer, right? Um, it's a good town for that. Exactly. Here, yeah. And um, so, but that's consistent, right? So we don't, we, we, we have an environmental mission as part of who we are as well. We try to lower our carbon footprint. The restaurant industry is very carbon heavy. Oh, yeah. And um, so, you know, when there is great beer in Salt Lake City, why the hell would we need to buy beer from Milwaukee and drive it across the country and burn the fuel, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so great products here, but we do the same thing with um, spirits. So, you know, in 2019, as opposed to even 10 years ago, you can find great local distilleries, um, in every market. Right. And so we're trying to give those distilleries a chance and, um, trying to reflect them in our, in our, uh, menus, um, here in, uh, in SLC and everywhere else. Have, um, in some locations, has that been more difficult than others or have they pretty much been Pretty beer savvy, spirit savvy. Yeah, places. I have some, you know, you know. I mean, those crazy Mormons are big drinkers. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. <laughs> I'll defer to the local experts on that topic. Um, the um, yeah, we have locations that, um, not many, um, that were where um, there's not as um, robust of a of a microbrew scene or distillery and. Um, but um, but but it's it's not it, we're not void of those products because we're not trying right. It's they're just not available in some markets. Right. Um, one of the the questions I ask uh, commonly is what what situations are have been the, the most creative that you've been involved with? Um, so like the the airport, the former airport airport location. Tell us about converting that. Uh, Air Tower at Stapleton. Stapleton. Yeah, so we we, we were um, the, my my local city councilman in Denver called me and asked me to uh, come to his office one day and your councilman calls and you say yes and um, and and he asked if I was interested in in restoring the, the you know the twenty three year abandoned um, air traffic control tower in um, Stapleton, uh, the former airport. So. Um, I said yes, and um, without thinking how much it was going to cost, and um, <laughs> three years later, I was wondering. I was wondering about the quality of that decision, but um, but still glad, still glad I made it. Um, did you sleep on it at least, or did you make it? No, that same, no, I, I just instantly. you know right there in the meeting, and I was like, let's do it. <laughs> so, um, but uh, but w- but we do like to um, you know again as I mentioned, we're designed forward. 
and we you know we design with uh, at times with what's given to us and in that in that instance um you know having that great architectural i mean it's an air traffic control tower yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. we had a lot to work with there so um so being able to um uh to repurpose an, an old architectural asset like that was a big deal we've done similar things in um, san diego where we had a chance to um, bring back a 1920s barrel roof boxing arena Oh, um, awesome. like Archie Moore actually fought a championship bout in that in that building. And so when you know, so we took that over and we brought that thing back to life and the local nods there in that location, there's a lot of there's a lot of boxing um, design elements in there and Archie Archie Moore's nickname was the Mongoose. So there's you know, not surprisingly you might find a mongoose in, in Punchbowl San Diego. <laughs> um so in one of the karaoke rooms it's got flamingos. And I found out the story behind it was about a, a flamingo escaped from the the zoo and is apparently still out and about. Um, how did you even figure that out? And <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't know about it before. You just searched through the news about flamingos loose in Salt Lake City. <laughs> yeah, so we were looking for flam- we were looking for a site to to uh, to use a flamingo themed karaoke room, and we decided on Salt Lake City. <laughs> no, um, no, we we the, we we have a there's a team of folks, you know, internal. Cause the, the I brought my entire design team in house, so we this is all folks inside of the Punchable Social Universe. Um, you know, they dig deep. Um, they dig deep when we're looking at a new location, and um, I, I give them all the credit actually on the flamingo. So that was when it was I don't know twelve eighteen months ago. Um, one of them came to me and said, I got this flamingo idea. And I said, I don't know where you're going, but it sounds good. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. Same thing. Air I'm traffic in. control tower. I'm in. <laughs> That's right. It worked out for me the last time. Wait a minute. It didn't work out. <laughs> what advice would you have for somebody that wants to go into the business now? In the restaurant industry? Yeah. Like yeah. what's different from when you began to now? Um. Uh, the industry is uh, is a hell of a lot cooler now than when I started. You know, it was still, you know, I was busting tables when I was 16 years old and uh, you know, started waiting tables when I was 18. And um, uh, it it was, um, um, you know, the industry was still run more like, you know, like the military, you, you know. I mean, it was, it was snapped to attention. It was actually, it was terribly sexist. <laughs> it was a male-dominated industry as well i mean it was just everything that modern modern employment environments are not supposed to be um but uh and 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 i don't think there was um there wasn't a wellspring of creativity that was occurring in the industry back in the 80s and actually i'm not sure anything good came out of the 80s um (laughs) but, but, but the um but the um the industry now is just it's so vibrant it has so um you know we there's there's creativity everywhere no one feels shackled by concepts or culinary themes uh i think um design has become just part of the cost of entry in this industry as well so you probably as consumers you notice restaurants are more beautiful than they used to be 15 years ago and i just think that um culturally um our industry and 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 as well as retail has just has taken you know giant leaps forward in evolving themselves becoming 
um, more authentic and more creative. Um, and then, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, the ability to find different ways to capitalize, um, these deals, um, has, um, has increased. And so good ideas are, are being more, are, are more readily financed than they were, um, when I first started raising money back in, back in the nineties. When do you open the doors there? Saturday. Saturday we have a grand opening party and um, it's a um, it's a ticketed event and all the proceeds from the event go to Entrust, um, which is um, an organization here locally that actually creates safe places for LGBTQ um, youth um, to sort of have a, a safe place to go and feel um, feel comfortable, especially if they don't have a um, the most um, 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 a welcoming or adopting family situation with their their life decisions and um, maybe the way they, they're feeling at school so it's, it's a great organization so the proceeds go to that um, and then I think we open the door to the regular public at 10 o'clock on Saturday night and then and then um, and then Sunday morning just you know 9 a.m. open for brunch and if people want to find you how can they find you online or punchablesocial.com I almost said punchablesocial.com, baby, but then I think people actually would have just... <laughs> they would have Googled they would have said punch- com, baby. Yeah, com, they, baby. yeah that's right. <laughs> is it bonus question time? Sure. <laughs> I, I think we covered my, uh, what does creativity mean to you? We've talked a lot about creativity. You're welcome to answer. What does creativity mean to you? Hmm. Well, I think um, I think that's all subjective, right? So, yeah, uh, definitely. And, and, and it's... Um, you know, for me, um, creativity, uh, certainly, um, I, 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 I could never stop with anything that, um, that I believe has ever been, um, produced before, whether it's just a creative thought or if it's actually manifest in a restaurant design or a concept model or, um, but creativity can be in, in so many forms. It can be in the way that you engineer the capital structure of your business, right? Cause it takes alternative thinking to do things smarter than the last guy did. Right, so that's creative. But as someone who is is a concept person, um, I, I think about, um, you know, I I I I'm asking myself constantly, um, you know, is that the best? Is is that the best you got? You know, because right. I I know that when a good idea hits me, um, if I just run with it, that's it's okay. But if I stop. And ask myself that question: Can you do a little better? Have you thought of you know? Is there an alternative angle you can view this thing from? It always gets a little bit better. I don't know if that's a great answer, but it's no, it's it, it's maybe part of the process I, of creativity. Is no, it's a good answer, and I'm actually gonna start using that if I can. Yeah, <laughs> can I do better than this? Yeah, no patent on that because I get stuck sometimes. Um, who is your favorite Muppet and why? Mm. You know. Um, I, I I think I laughed the hardest at Miss Piggy, so um, I think she had the best lines. He is the sweetest chef. He is the <laughs> sweetest chef. So like maybe I secretly just wanted to eat Miss Piggy. There we go. Pork. I mean, <laughs> pork's good. Pork just, is pretty good. I mean, Ritz. she had a great sense of humor, so she has to taste sweet. I, I don't know. And she went after what she wanted. She wanted Kermit, and she got him. <laughs> That's right. And the final is in the movie of your life. Who would you like to play you? Um, I don't know. Are you guys busy? <laughs> <laughs> Dylan will play you. 
I'll have to shave my head a little bit closer. <laughs> I could be like the little intern in your office running around. No. Getting I, you coffee. I, no, I see. I don't think that's the, um, I, I, I think you guys wouldn't let me answer that question that way. So <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Um, yeah, I think I, I've actually been asked that one time before. It might have just been at a party. <laughs> but um, I have no idea, man. That's, that's a, um, there's a, a th so maybe I'll use my creative process and say, well, I'm not going to say Brad Pitt because that's clearly I can do better than that. <laughs> I mean, maybe he's evolving. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm actually a Brad Pitt fan. Um, the uh, so um, so that said, um, I think um, I think Rihanna would be would be best. Work, 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 work. <laughs> <laughs> She's a good pick. Yeah. Well, thank you, Robert. Appreciate yeah. you. Um, just before you head, you're heading out of town. I am. Yeah, I got. I have. Uh, I have three um, smallish children at home, and um, and looking forward to seeing them. And then I'll be back here Saturday um, for the grand opening. Great. I'll I'll see you then. Yeah. Cool. Right on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Robert. Bye. -bye. The podcast is done, man. <laughs> <laughs>